Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com and by Oxbow Rum Distillery, local family-grown small batch rum, embodying the essence of Louisiana sugarcane harvest. OxbowRumDistillery.com. From Nola Pizza in the Nola Brewing Tap Room on Chapatula Street in New Orleans, we're out to lunch with Peter Rashidi, Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and director of the award-winning Birkenrode Reports. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Rashidi. Welcome to Out to Lunch. People who come to New Orleans as visitors often spend most of their time in the French Quarter and pack their stay with excessive indulgence. They start drinking way earlier in the day than they would at home. They stay out way later at night than they do at home. They eat meal after meal of New Orleans specialty dishes laden with cream, butter, and, and fried everything. If you talk to any of these folks on their way out of town, they typically look at you with the kind of reverence normally reserved for endurance sports champions. They say things like, man, I don't, know, I don't know how you live here. We who live here tend to respond uh, with the explanation that the French Quarter is filled with tourists. Locals don't eat, drink, and party like that. Have you been to Arno's restaurant in the French Quarter? They've been there since 1918 and built their reputation on serving a vast menu of French Creole fine dining, including nine different oyster appetizers, 51 seafood entrees, 40 different types of vegetable sides, including 16 different types of potatoes. Arno's is massive. It's an amalgamation of what was originally 13 different buildings. There's a jazz bistro, two bars, and the restaurant seats 950 people. Yes, 950. And here's the kicker. The place is typically packed with locals. Don't tell your tourist friends who you're trying to impress that you live an upright, healthy lifestyle, but there's more than a good chance you or someone you know has plans to go to Arno's for a rehearsal dinner, a wedding, or just because it's Friday. Since 1918, Arno's has been owned and run by two families. First, the family of the founder and namesake, uh, Arno Kazanev, and since 1978 by members of the Kasparian family. The current Kasparians are brother and sister, Archie Jr. and Katie, and their mom, Jane. Archie Jr. is currently sitting across the table from me here at NOLA Brewing. Archie, welcome out to lunch. Nice to see you, thanks for having me. French Creole fine dining is all well and good, but you can't eat like that every day, and especially if you're an athlete. Not just a professional athlete, anyone who takes fitness seriously and also takes their diet seriously. If you're a professional athlete, you have access to dietitians and nutritionists who craft specific meal plans for you to maximize your strengths and help bolster any deficiencies you might naturally have. For the rest of us, here's the good news. You no longer have to figure out your sports diet on Google. You can download an app called Eat to Win. That's eat, the number two, win eat to win is a product of a company called my sports dietitian my sports dietitian is set up to give everyone in sports from high school coaches to individual amateur athletes the same access to specialized dietary and nutrition advice the pros get the co-founder of my dietitian and eat to win app is ronnie harper ronnie welcomed out to lunch hey good to be here archie my introduction was a 
bit of an exaggeration, not about the size of your restaurant, but the folks in it. There are plenty of tourists that go to Arno's, but without exaggeration, it's fascinating the number of locals who go there. The reason it's fascinating is that New Orleanians don't like to go to the French Quarter. Their typical excuses are parking, too many drunk tourists wearing Mardi Gras beads when it's not Mardi Gras, the smell and the danger of getting mugged or worse. But for some reason, locals are prepared to give Arno's a pass on all of that and go there anyway. Everybody involved in the New Orleans economy would love to find a way to get New Orleanians to spend more time and money in the French Quarter. You grew up in Arno's and you've been there in the heart of the French Quarter your whole life. I'd hazard a guess there's nobody in New Orleans who knows the French Quarter better than you do. What can you teach the city of New Orleans about returning the quarter to locals? Well, that's a good question. Um, you know, I, not only do I work down there, but I grew up in the French Quarter just a couple blocks away from the restaurant. Uh, my family grew up on St. Louis Street, um, and so I've seen seen it all. Um, you know, over the years, I've seen the ebb and, and flow of, of um, I guess, the, the fortunes of the French Quarter, if you will. Um, I would say things are challenging at the moment, uh, as you mentioned there. Um, you know, it's very difficult. There's another reason that makes things difficult to get down to the French Quarter, and and I would add to what you what you said, in that there's so many more restaurants in other parts of the city now, and uh, where there was a lot of focus on the French Quarter and 20, 30 years ago, there's so many more options uh, in the neighborhoods, uh, uptown, uh, Lakeview, you know, on the West Bank, in the East, what have you. Um, so it's, it's a bit more of a challenge to get them to come down uh, in addition to all the reasons that you outlined uh, just now. Um, I think the number one issue on everyone's mind is safety. And, um, you know, I, I think in the people that I speak to, they have an idea in their mind about the conditions of the French Quarter. And I can't say that they're off base or wrong about it, but I think that that might I th in my opinion, that would be the single biggest thing that, that we as New Orleanians need to get under control, and not just for the sake of businesses that are operating in the French Quarter, but you know, as, as, a, as the basis of you know, a major economic engine, not just for the city, for the state, for the region. Um, you know, I, I think it's really vitally important. In spite of all that, you're doing a great job bringing in the, bringing in the <laughs> locals. Ronnie, it seems like originally the food as medicine movement was largely written off as a few kooks who believed uh, turmeric uh, could change everything. Today, there's a wide acceptance of the link between good food and good health. Even McDonald's goes to pains to highlight their healthy options. Given that, if I'm already a person who pays attention to my diet and I eat pretty healthy, how different is my diet going to be when I sign up with Eat to Win? Yeah. You know, we don't believe that there's good food and bad food. There's food. And as I, we were okay. ex explaining before we were eating, you know, we believe in the 80-20 rule that there is a, uh, an allowance uh, to eat a McDonald's or to eat anything that you want. You just got to keep it in balance. Uh, you can get really OCD in a hurry, right, and, and, and actually lead to eating disorders. And that's one of the things that separates our app from the MyFitnessPal is we work hard not to give you too much information. Uh, a lot of the macros and micros you won't see in our app like you will see 
because that does lead to uh, uh, in improper mindset about what food really is uh, and what it's what it's necessary to use for. So. We have a very common sense approach. So in our app, you'll see uh, meal plan guides that give athletes a framework of what to eat and how much to eat. And uh, that's really what they're looking for. They're looking for a guide. And uh, of course, uh, really it gives them uh, the types of healthy foods uh, that they should be eating. But at the same time, you, you gotta have a balance in what you eat. And uh, one of the things I was thinking is that the, the way you're presenting that app is less frustrating. More people yes. more like to stay on it, yeah. I guess. That's the goal. The goal is to do what we've learned from MyFitnessPal, which the average user stays on MyFitnessPal like a day and a half or two days because it looks cool on the front end because you get a lot of numbers, but it gets very tedious and monotonous in order to try to track and then, and then extract those numbers, which we think doesn't lead to behavior change. We're trying to establish patterns with athletes, uh, positive patterns without uh, undue burden of them micromanaging their diet it just, it just doesn't stick it and probably allows them to go out to restaurants and with with that way of thinking in their in their brain and be able to order intelligently on a, on a menu when that they is out. that's the mindset that all of our dietitians preach that's what they all have is the ability to to uh, eat for performance if you look at athletes their number one uh, issue they have is not the quality of the calories as much as it is the quantity they're burning calories like crazy they're it's not uncommon for a 17 year old male playing uh, basketball football multiple sports lifting out to be burning 4500 calories and when we've demonstrated many times uh, many times over that they're typically getting around 3000 a day so they're living in calorie deficiency for pretty much most of their adolescence. Um, and uh, What so, do normal people burn? Uh, me and you, you, we would probably be closer to about 32 on a normal day. Now this pizza we're gonna eat will probably bump us up to around 4,000, but that's okay, <laughs> we'll make it up. Uh, now, yeah. Archie, I know uh, I need to be in a calorie deficiency myself. Yeah, this I pizza's know. Pizza's not going to help. I don't <laughs> think. <laughs> now, Archie, I know your goal in this show is to somehow get Ronnie to recommend going to Arno's. Uh, but this <laughs> is a. But aside aside from that, I, I had friends in uh, oh a couple of months ago, and they were from California, and we went to the restaurant, and they love the ambiance. But one of them said to me, "I don't think this would play in California. I mean, the way they eat there. What do you?" What do you think about that? Are they, uh, are they right? I, I, don't, I don't know that they're wrong, but what I would say is that, yes, a lot of the uh, older Creole restaurants, we, you know, are, by nature of our cuisine, there's a lot of sauce-heavy foods. There's a lot of you know, fat used in, in our cooking. Um, but with that said, restaurants are a lot more conscious about vegetarian eaters these days even restaurants like Arno's or you know others that are in our competitive set we're thinking about vegetarians we're thinking about having some lighter dishes uh, you know fish dishes with holding the sauce and the butter and things like that and you know we have one of our best fish dishes is a pompano dish that's just done in the oven with fresh herbs on it and it's it's delicious now I would agree that it's more delicious when you put hollandaise sauce on it but you don't have to do that but there you know we are trying to present other options for people besides going out and just having to have a salad which nobody you know wants right. to do as as someone who's watching their diet or is you know otherwise yeah. ca um, 
restricted in what they can eat. Now, Archie, I think, do people come to your restaurant saying, because it's so iconic, I want to eat what I ate here 30 years ago? Yeah, I mean, you know, part, <laughs> one of the challenges that we have is that by nature, both the, the size of our operation, um, you know, we're not as nimble as a, as a 30 seat restaurant that can make changes daily based on what's available at the market. And so, and also, you know, the, the restaurants similar to ours are known for having big, extensive menus. And, and out of that comes the, the you, don't, you don't need to change it all the time because there's so many offerings. And the trend now at a lot of places you'll see around the country is really paring down the menu to just a few options, you know, both at the different courses, and that makes great sense, but we're still hanging on to uh, the, the old way of having an extensive a la carte offering. So, and Ronnie, you're the retired athletic trainer at uh, Dutchtown High School. Is, how would you approach you, I guess? Mm -hmm. that, that would be a good start. Yeah, we, uh, out of the Ideal Village, one of the things that they brought us through was a very refined product market search, right? So I went after the Ronnie Harpers, uh, my, my peers and some not my peers across the United States, and we did an in-depth interview and asked them, you know, uh, point blank, uh, do you have a problem? Uh, do you have a plan? And it was obvious that they had a problem and it was obvious they had no plan. And so in approaching them, it's the same way that I would approach myself because everything that we created was to solve my personal problems that I had. So I'm just validating that, hey, what I have a problem with, do y'all have the same problem and do y'all not have a plan? So what I did was I reached out to Tavis, my co-founder, and he's a sports dietitian, lives in Covington. So we tried to make this virtual relationship work and so as we develop our, our communication tools as we developed our, our our educational materials we found people asking us uh, similar to myself uh, will y'all sell that and we went like hold on to that idea we'll get back to you <laughs> this was like way back when we first started and the answer was yes we'll sell it and we said okay how do we do that right and then that led to the whole my sports dietitian and need to win because people were asking for solutions to their problems that Ronnie Harper had at Dutchtown to this day. So it's been quite the evolution to uh, try to make sure we meet the needs of people like myself. I wish we had that. I mean, I played sports when I was younger and unfortunately uh, my, the limits of my genetic pool uh, <laughs> cut my career short. But, you know, we were thinking about those things all the time about eating properly, um, you know, lifting a lot of weights, burning a lot of calories, running around. but we were left to our own devices uh to figure out what works yeah you know some guys were taking supplements did they work did they not work i mean was there any real thought other than what you read in the magazine and perhaps in an advertisement so well you know, I, I wish we had something like that when i was coming up look that at what great look what lsu the saints have look at what all the ones uh the military in the last 10 years, college pros, military, they've invested millions in sports nutrition that they haven't in the past decades, and they've received a huge return on their investment. So my sports dietitian, we're banking on taking that same model, doing it virtually, and then meeting the needs of all of the athletes below the D1 level. Uh, so we, we really believe that it's going to uh, – uh, people – 
are going to recognize that there truly is a resource out there and how to plug that resource in. So let me ask you just what you said. Um, we know the pros are you know very well taken care of. You've gone below D1. Why did you do that? It's just is this such an open market or uh, the need is great. If you look at an adolescent, uh, again, like we go back to the calorie demands. Uh, the constraints that they have on their life regarding school lunches, uh, lack of time between classes, no food options. Uh, they're on that campus of 11, 12 hours a day burning 4,000 calories and they're consuming 27, 3,000. So that's a, that's a problem that's well documented. Uh, now we're trying to solve that problem. Like we're trying to get food and teach the professionals and the parents and the athletes. So besides a clear identifiable problem, males and females, uh, we're really trying to find uh, the opportunities to uh, educate the adults who work with them that there is, a, there is an option and a solution if you implement our strategies and our plans and our products. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Peter Raschuti. I'm talking with sports dietitian Ronnie Harper from the company My Sports Dietitian and the app Eat to Win, and Archie Gasbarian, co-proprietor of Arnold's Restaurant. Archie, it's not just a restaurant. You have a couple of bars in there. You have uh, uh, you've got catering. It's it's actually more complicated than it uh, seems. How do you get it all to work seamlessly? I mean, it's. In a way, uh, I look at those businesses, particularly catering, as com completely different businesses to run. Yeah, I, you know, uh, sometimes I, to answer your question, I wonder how it all comes together too. <laughs> I mean, you know, on a busy shift, uh, it's just crazy. But we, I, I think when people walk into the restaurant, they walk into our main dining room, they don't realize how many different options there are, on, are under one roof. Uh, or the size and scope of, of what we do, which is wonderful because you have a great cozy feeling and you know sometimes you'll come in and say, wow, I was really busy downstairs and you have no idea that there's 400 additional people upstairs having dinner at the same time. So our goal, of course, is always to meet the expectation. I mean, you know, we, we are trying to, we are in business to make people happy. Um, and with that, we have a great team most of the time we hit that mark. Uh, sometimes it can be a struggle, uh, of course, but we have 17 different dining rooms. Uh, we have a music uh, option in one room. We, you know, our, our upstairs of our facility is mostly dedicated to uh, private events. Um, you know, sometimes there's offsite events as well. So there's really a lot of things that are going on um, at any one time. You mentioned those 17, uh, 17 smaller rooms and. Uh, so many times I've been there, left for the restroom, and couldn't find where I'd come from. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> breadcrumbs would be good. But yeah, uh, well, you know, uh, people often remark, you know, I don't know how we're going to find our way out of this place. And <laughs> I think that's one of the, the charms of the restaurant. You know, there's lots of places you go. Everyone's been in a big sterile uh, hotel ballroom or something, and it just doesn't have a great feel. And we want you to feel like you're in a home, an elegant home. And so we have different sized dining rooms. Uh, you know, we have sort of a turn of the century um, sort of decor. And, you know, we want people to feel like they're in an elegant space. Turn and of that other century. 
Well, yeah, well, yeah, not, uh, yeah sorry. Really? We're, really? We moved we're... on now. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Ronnie, where does the revenue come from in, in this startup? Uh, I've, I've been reading about the company, but I just can't kind of get my arms around it. Yeah, over the last three or four years, uh, we're paying our bills uh, as a startup. Uh, doing events. Uh, that's what we found attracts audience, attracts leads, builds our audience. So we have four symposiums a year and we bring the best of the best uh, to the table to talk about a topic, a theme. And that puts our brand up there with other brands and associates us with large, not large, but most distinguished professors, uh, topics, speakers. And now we're the go-to source. So when you want to learn something about sports nutrition, they've learned to trust our brand. Why don't we generate leads? So that's been our primary means. And then out of the Ideal Village, that's where they really helped us to focus down to identify the scalable business. And uh, those are what we're going to launch in January, which is a focus on uh, soccer and a focus on football will be our first two sports in January. So that's our scalable business. Everything else is just paying the bills to stay open. And what do these symposia look like? Um, are it's they a, online? Are they yeah, it's online. It's nine speakers. COVID was a blessing to us because that's what drove us to start this. We, we were doing individual events, but then we strung nine together in the course of a week. And so it's a free event. So, you know, we'll generate significant revenue off a free event because we sell a VIP pass, which we give you the keys to the kingdom, to a lot of the resources for continuing education. And so now we're educating them while we're building our brand, while we're building relationships. So we've been, uh, you know, I think about it, somebody put it this way, we developed a audience before we developed a business. And so we're still in that phase where we, were, we did a podcast, we did webinars, did eBooks, courses. And so we've been building our brand while we're trying to find that product to really take us to the next level. I gotta ask you this. Is um, maybe I'm thinking of Netflix and, and all of this, but you, you convince a coach to take you on and uh, then he brings it to his team. Mm -hmm. Who's paying for is it? Is it the school or the individual players, which would seem very complicated? That's a great discussion. We were on the phone yesterday on a sales pitch with a large hospital uh, organization, and, and that was the discussion. Does the hospital pay it for all of their high schools? Does the parent pay it or does the coach pay it? And I gave my two cents as to who I thought should pay it, and they gave their two cents. So uh, it's, it can be one of the three or a combination of the three. The new product that we have coming out specifically with soccer and football to start with is $29 an athlete a year. That's, that's the entry level, right? So that's not going to break anybody's bank. We're trying to go – we actually call it the Netflix model because it's <laughs> supposed to be cheap and expensive but scalable but also have clear upsells, right? So this is a 30-week program designed to meet the specific needs of soccer athletes, football athletes, and uh, that, that, will be, that will be what puts us on the map. And both of you have two completely different markets, and I thought I'd start with Archie. You've got advertising to locals and then advertising to tourists. Um, see, at the airport when I'm getting my bags, there's a big sign for you. So there, um, how, you do, how do you do the two different ones? Well, you know, our... Ronnie's business is is a bit different than ours, although we're kind of coming to it from a different sides of the coin, I guess. Um, you know, the resources of of the internet are are vast, and you know, it's really amazing. Um, you know, my, our business is an older business. It's it's got a location. It, it's dependent on people coming to us uh, to see us. So, 
yeah, how do you get your, how do you get the word out? How do you how do you reach these folks? Um, you know, word of mouth. But while I think that social media is the root of all evil, it also is a very <laughs> powerful powerful tool. You know, we're going to lead with that. By uh, the way. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know that really a lot of our focus is just on talking about ourselves on our social media channels showing what's going on i mean it's a great opportunity um you know we don't have to tell you why you you need to be here in words we can show you why you should be here um in pictures and you know our our business is you know what makes us successful i think is that it's not about the food it's not about the service it's not about the ambiance. You're not going to remember 20 years from now what specifically you ate that was the greatest thing. But you're going to remember how you felt. You're going to remember, wow, it just everything like you know worked. And that's what we're aiming to, to create for people. Ronnie, I'm curious to know how COVID affected you with school closures and sports programs kind of unable to to get together i know a lot of the ballparks and things where my children play um sort of really were shut down or or extremely limited and i wonder how that affected um sports nutrition the timing of covid was perfect from a business standpoint because we were in a huge transition we just switched our whole app platform uh like totally went with google and firebase and flutter i mean so we just said okay scrap what we've done this is where we make it better so that was a transition period just to put our head down and get get a new version, sleeker, cleaner, better version of the app. It was also good timing because we knew that the app wasn't enough. We needed the professionals behind the app. So we went out and recruited and searched for the, the highest level dietitians we could find. And then the third thing was uh, online education was very uh, odd to have a Zoom or Zoom wasn't even known of but google meet was just odd you call people on the phone or and then when we held our first symposium we were blown away by by how much people it was just perfect timing they were home right so we developed a huge audience during covid because we were online cranking out continuing education and they didn't have nothing else to do so that year and a half was perfect for us as far as a business so when we came out we now had some finances and we had a, a, a path that we were ready to establish. So it was great timing, actually. Almost perfect timing. Yeah. And I, I was just thinking of scale. I mean, if you were individually going to work out with people, that would be very limiting. But very what, limiting. But what you're doing, very different and very scalable. Very scalable. That's what attracts me to it. I know when you look at the people who attend our symposiums and use our app, there's probably some 70 different countries that use our app and attend our symposiums, which just blows my mind that people in no parts of the earth, of this earth actually use something that just two dudes from Louisiana are working to develop, right? <laughs> I mean, how cool is that? Uh, yeah, the audience you have even for this podcast is worldwide. I mean, people consume it, and that's just that's intriguing, attracting to me to try to see if I can serve service a broader audience than what I've carved out to be uh, so yeah I know I have a question for Archie that's been on my mind since he was talking if, if we're ready to move in that direction and uh, you were talking about your your long-standing menu selection and how occasionally y'all tweak it so what's the decision process to change such 
a standard menu that's been there, like like in stone. What do you? Because to change something is an event, right? You don't just come in one day and go like, hey, let's do this. Like, yeah. what's the process to change something significant? Well, we don't make changes lightly, of course. Right. I mean, there's a lot of thought that gets put into it, and we don't make big changes often. You know, a lot of it is understanding who you are, what people want from you, and so. Um, you know, they're not looking for the latest trends in food. They're not looking for, um, you know, some of the crazy things that you, you, you might see come and go, these fads and things. So we have to be very careful. I mean, in a lot of ways, it's, it's you know, when we working at the restaurant and being part of it, um, you know, my, I was telling Peter earlier, my parents encouraged us to go on and do something else, you know, not to feel compelled to have to come back and work in this family business of ours. Um, and it, my sister was much more determined. Um, she knew exactly what she wanted to do. She knew she wanted to come to New Orleans. I, as with a lot of things, come around to it later on and figure out that that's what I wanted to do without knowing it at the time. But part of that decision and the part of why I'm answering the question that way is that a lot of ways, you know, I feel like Arno's being around since 1918, it's, it's bigger than me. It's bigger, it was here before, God willing, it's gonna be there after. And so we're very, very uh, conscious about making radical changes. You know, we always wanna put our stamp on, on the menu, on the place. We want to, you know, people to know that we're there. Um, but we know who we are. And we know that we're not going to come in and just say, oh, you know what? Somebody was here 20 years ago and said, hey, I, I remember eating this exact meal. Well, to, to us, some people might say, that is terrible. We, we, if we were serving the same thing today as 20 years ago, we'd, we're going to give it up because we're failing to be creative. We look at it differently. We feel like there's... Um, there's value in, in having people come back and wanting to eat some of those same dishes, but there's there's so much potential to also create new things. Um, so it takes a lot to change something, right? It, it can, and yeah. you know, for that reason, and another part of our business is, is we do a lot of um, private dining banquet events. And so, you know, a lot of these things are contracted out, you know, could be up to a year in advance and so you know we have to have some continuity of some of offerings that are available you know to to that satisfy that portion of our business um, but you know it's also a great tool to be able to do dishes you know a, a dessert du jour a plat du jour that you know you can try out menu items you can get feedback and this is not something that I invented, obviously. I mean, this is what all restaurants do. But when they really hit, then you you know, hey, okay, we're on to something. We had a, we sold a lot of that item. We people really were, were so loving you, it. You we pilot things before you put it absolutely. in writing, right? Yeah. And you know, when we have we have holidays that are coming up, and we we tailor menus to the specific holidays. I mean, we're thinking about those things months out in advance. And you know, when you do that, you have to think about what ingredients are going to be available. So there's a lot of thought that goes into into menu creation, and I'm sure, on your end, that's that's the name of the game is is thinking about what's available and not and just so, to us as adults, us as a public, but what's available to 
kids that are trying to, you know, you've got to make it, I don't want, dumb it down is not the, the right ant, the word, but you've got to, what is it that they understand, the types of foods that they like, right. um, what are the types of foods they have access to, because that's a, a big issue in New Orleans and I'm sure other parts of Louisiana as Actually, well. Actually, I like the idea that you plan way ahead, so it's not like during the week of Thanksgiving, it's like, darn, everybody, get some turkeys. You know, it's uh, that would be ba ba bad. Ronnie, um, you we talked about Archie having two different markets. You have individuals and I guess you'd call them institutions or, mm -hmm. or coaches. Um, I noticed one of the things in your marketing that must really resonate is you have three dietitians that also work for NBA teams. I mean, that's yeah, that's a is. sexy thing to put on. We put actually on, have so. four now. Oh wow! Yeah, we just brought on the sports dietitian from the Houston Rockets the Phoenix Suns, the Minnesota Timberwolves. Yeah, it's uh, they kind of attracted each other. We got the first one and she kind of recruited the others and that's gonna be our basketball version we'll release. And uh, that's pretty cool to market them as the front end of our basketball. And then our soccer, the lead for that is the consulting dietitian for the USA national team, right? So, I mean, we're saying you can get access to what the pros have. Uh, now, he has a team that he works with but we built our business from a marketing standpoint of trying to go after the top end and work our way back down. You know, it, using your words, you're not just two dudes from Louisiana. Uh, anyway. No, we're that, not. We're not. <laughs> we were at one time, but uh, we, we've expanded our wings and brought in some really phenomenal professionals that believe in what we do, right? They really do. They understand that somebody will figure this out, and they're putting their marbles that it's going to be us. And Archie, I can't leave without asking this question you've been the restaurant's been rule breakers i mean during prohibition you sort of openly sold sold alcohol your your 13 buildings that you're connected to two of them were brothels that's uh, that's a cool way to get started <laughs> and because people mentioned this to me when i told them you're on the show is apparently there's ghosts in the restaurant well um that can is, you confirm that archie that's I, really what i let me say this i i am not a believer in ghosts, but I don't want to be proven wrong. And I have seen and heard from enough people that I find to be otherwise normal, credible, stable, sane people that have seen things or felt things and I don't want to discount their experience. And I, one time we had someone that came in and they took a picture in one of our rooms upstairs and they were demanding to speak to the owner and now things develop immediately you see what the image on your camera or on your phone and they had taken a picture in one of the rooms and in in the the back was uh, you know not their subjects they were they were photographing but in the, the back of the picture there was like this apparition of sort of the torso of a man in period dress i mean not not what we're wearing right now and i saw it i mean it was crazy now was it a was it a some strange reflection or you know i don't know but that was the first time that i've seen some of my own eyes but i, I will say that there are times you know when you're in the restaurant by yourself late at night or what have you and you know some of the, the areas of the restaurant can, can be creepy in the in the back and some storage rooms and etc and 
you know, your mind starts to wonder. And so when you hear something, sometimes you don't want to stick around to find out what it is. <laughs> we hear a lot these days about work-life balance, the acknowledgement that there's more to life than work and money. The point being, if you want to be happy, you need to prioritize happiness. Uh, apparently, the rest of the country just figured out what we've known for generations in New Orleans. It's part of the reason living here is so attractive and so different from anywhere else in the U.S. We don't think there's anything strange about wearing a costume or going to work on Monday morning and partying with our boss and colleagues at the Maple Leaf on Monday night. And we accept, as a matter of fact, that we can live a healthy life, subscribe to a sports diet from my sports dietitian, and occasionally indulge ourselves with a dinner and drinks at Arno's without having a, a meltdown, guilt trip about it. Because in New Orleans, that's life. Ronnie and Archie, in any other city, you two might be regarded as opposite ends of the spectrum. In New Orleans, you're two sides of a coin, probably a doubloon. Thank you both for taking the time to join me today on Out to Lunch. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you so Thanks much. for having us. My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Archie Kasbarian, the co-proprietor of Arno's Restaurant, and Ronnie Harper, the co-founder of My Sports Dietitian and Eat to Win app. We edited this show to fit into the time slot here on WWNO. You can hear our unedited conversation and find out more about Archie's Restaurant and Ronnie's diets by listening to the Out to Lunch podcast. You can find and subscribe to the Out to Lunch podcast on your podcast app and on our website, itsneworleans.com. If you want to know what we all look like, you can find photos from this show on itsneworleans.com and on our Out to Lunch social media. These photos were taken today by Jill LaFleur. You can find more of Jill's photos at lafleurphoto.com. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Our researcher is Maggie Mendel. Today's show was engineered by Blake Longlinay. I'm Peter Raschuti. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the lunch table for more business. New Orleans style on Out to Lunch. Out to Lunch was recorded live over lunch at the NOLA Brewing Tap Room, 3001 Chapatula Street, open seven days a week. NOLA Brewing Tap Room has a wide variety of craft beers and authentic hand-tossed New York-style city pizza by NOLA Pizza. More information is at nolabrewing.com. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base joneswalker.com and by Oxbow Rum Distillery local family grown small batch rum embodying the essence of Louisiana sugarcane harvest oxbowrumdistillery.com and by Basics Swim and Gym and Basics Underneath Fine Lingerie. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at mitchellforeman.com if you'd like to be part of Out to Lunch, there's one sponsor slot open for 2023. To learn how your business or organization can become an Out to Lunch program partner, email info at inobroadcasting.com.